learning the Sikha, the second Sikha to Pashas Kisisa in Chelek Tezain, and we're using the Loshna Kedish version, which is available on the Project of the Sikha's website. In this week's parasha, the Torah describes how the Shemen Hamishcha, the oil that was used to anoint the Kalim in the, in the Mishkan and also the Kehanim and so on. After the Torah enumerates the various psalmim, uh, different herbs that were used uh, for making the the Shemen Hamishcha, the ingredients, the different herbs that are, were used for the good uh, smell and taste. So then, Nema Bekosu Veshemen Zaishin. The Torah then lists another ingredient that olive oil in the measurement of a hin. Rashi Hetik Hatevo Hin Upiresh Yud based Lugin. That the measurement of hin is 12 lug. And then Rashi continues that about this lug, this hin of Shem and Zayis, there is an argument by Chachme Yisro, a Machloikis, that in this hin measurement of olive oil, the Ikorin were cooked for an extended period of times, extensively. There is regular cooking and there is cooking again and again and again, which is a, a longer process of cooking, and that's called sholku. So Rameir says that in this hin of olive oil, the herbs of the psalmim for Shemina were cooked in it extensively. Omar le Rab Yehuda. So Rab Yehuda said to Rameir, one hin of olive oil would not even suffice to um, uh, smear the superficially the ikorin, these herbs that were used for the Shemna Mishcha. And certainly that this wasn't enough to produce the shaman for the Shem Hamishcha. Elo, rather, says Rabbi Yehuda, that the process was different. They didn't cook the herbs in this shaman. Rather, Elo, Shorum, Bamai. They would let the, all the different herbs soak in water. Shalayivlu es Hashem. Once they were soaked in water, it will prevent them from absorbing the oil. And then they would put the shemen, pour it over it, 
so that the oil will absorb the fragrance of the psalmim. The keep chulashem and ma'alohikarim, and then right away they would remove the oil from the ikarim, from these herbs, as the oil wasn't absorbed in the herbs. And then that oil was the shaman hamishcha. So this is the machlaikis between Rabbi and Rabbi Yehuda that Rashi brings what the process was. According to Rabbi Meir, they would actually cook the herbs in this oil. And Rabbi Yehuda said that they first soaked the ikorin in water, which will prevent the oil from being, being absorbed in the ikorin. And then they would just pour the oil over it and then remove the oil after it absorbed the fragrance. And then that was the Shem Hamishcha. We know all over Chumash, when Rashi has two different um, things that he's trying to explain on a certain word in Chumash, Rashi will divide this into two Dibur HaMaschils. And if that is the style, how come that here Rashi combined two totally separate topics? Aleph, Midas Hashem, the measurement, which is Yud based Lugin, that a Hin is a measurement that contains 12 Lug. And Beis, Oifnasias Shemen Hamishcha. And the other topic that Rashi is explaining over here, the manner in which the Shemen Hamishcha was produced. If in the oil the herbs were cooked, or if the oil was poured over them, how come Rashi combines these two topics in one Rashi? These are seemingly two separate concepts. First, Rashi is addressing how much is a hin, and then Rashi is explaining how the Shem Namishka was done, how it was produced. What does one have to do with the other? Ubifrat kosha, especially. This question becomes even more difficult considering Aleph l'shoi hasheni. The way he starts off the second topic, he connects it in the wording to the first. It's not just hin is you based lugin. Period. Another topic that the Machlekes, how it was produced. No, and they argued about it. Which means, with the Vav HaMoysif, that this is linked and a continuation to the measurement of the him being Yubes Lugin. What's the connection between these two? Also the wording, not just in it, the Chachm Yisrael have an argument. In what it? In that hin of Shem and Zayis, they argue. The Pasuk following this Pasuk, the Shem and Zayis hin, 
right after that pasuk, the Torah continues the Osiso, how the Shaman Hamishcha was produced. Osiso is a Shaman Mishchas Kedesh, Reikach Milkachas, Master Rekach Shaman Mishchas Kedesh here. That you should make the Shaman Mishchas Kedesh a mixture and so on. So Rashi should have really brought this entire Machlekes between Ameir and Rabbi Yehuda on the next pasuk, where the Torah then, after first giving us the list of all the ingredients in the, this pasuk, when the Torah then comes with the next pasuk and tells us, you should then make the Shem Namishko with all of the above ingredients. So over there, it would fit much better that Rashi should bring the Machlekes. And how was this done? Rameo says in this manner, Rabbi Yehuda says in a different manner. Why is that part of the discussion of the Shemun Zayis hin, that the Shemun Zayis was a hin, the measurement of Yudbeis Lugin? Another few the Yukim come up when we look at this Rashi, when we analyze it more in detail. As a lead up to the actual Machlaikis, Rashi gives an introduction. The Chachmi Yisrael had an argument about it. Now, the fact that Rashi has the need to give an introduction in general, that there is a machloikis, we know that Rashi's Pirush and Chumish is first and foremost concerned with explaining the simple pshat in the Pasuk. Now, on occasion, Rashi brings two Pirushim. On occasion, Rashi brings a Machlaikis, Tanoim or Amiroim, who will argue about a certain Pasuk, what it means. Now, we know that whenever Rashi brings two Pirushim, the first one is closer related to the simple understanding of the Pasuk. However, there is some difficulty and therefore Rashi doesn't suffice with the first Pirush and he brings a second Pirush in which the first difficulty is not present. But nevertheless, the second Pirush also has a difficulty and therefore it's the, and the difficulty of the second Pirush is more difficult than the first one, and therefore it comes as the second pirush, and the first one has also difficulty, but not as difficult, and therefore it makes it the first one. Now, on occasion, Rashi will bring a machlekes, and it's the same thing. The opinion that he brings first is the one that is closer to, related to the pshat. But sometimes Rashi feels that both pirushim are equally okay in the context of Shrutashal Mikra. And how can he make that clear to us? If he just brings the two perushim or the two opinions, 
then we will always think that the first one is the one that's better. But when Rashi gives an introduction, there's a machloikis about it, and then he presents the two opinions, <clears throat> then both opinions are equally good. Obviously, you can't bring them both together. You have to bring one first and one second, but it's not because the first one is better. It's just because you have to bring one before the other. And to make that clear, in those instances, Rashi gives us that intro. There's a machloikis about it. So the fact that Rashi gives us here this intro, we understand, to let us know that the two perushim, shkulim heim bedel hapshat, are equal from a pshat perspective. Kilule hakdomezu, without this intro, then we would have thought that the first one is first because it's a better pirush. It's closer to Rashi's style of pshat. There is though a difficulty in the wording that Rashi is using. The Rashi is telling us that there's a machloikis over here. Okay, we understand. We appreciate why. But to call them chachmi Yisro, the wise of Yisro, is an unusual terminology. What is it trying to negate? The wise among non-Jews? Now, obviously, we're talking about why isn't he writing that Rabbi Seinu, our teachers, had an argument? similar wording, which is more commonly used in Rashi. And a lot of times in Rashi, he uses the term Rabbi Seinu. So how come that here he's saying Chachmi Yisro, which is an unusual wording? How come Rashi quotes also the name? Who are the Chachomim who argue? Rameir and Rabbi Yehuda. Sharei, confusion is bad poem Rabbis, as was explained many times. Rashi maskir shmeshel ban de oma rak be mokim shal dezei teisev bir be perushe. Often Rashi will say, Nechlekurabi seinu. And he just says the two opinions without saying who says them. And in most cases in Rashi, Rashi does not quote the names of the various Tanoim and Amaroi whose opinions he cites. So how come that here he does? And now we know that whenever Rashi does write the name of the Balahamaimer, it is because knowing who said it will give us further insight in understanding what Rashi is saying. So the question is, what further insight can we gain by knowing that the two opinions here are Rameir and Rabbi Yehuda? And in our case, the, this question of number base, 
why Rashi quotes Ramein Rav Yehuda is especially difficult. Because there actually are different versions in Chazal who are the Tanoim who actually had this argument. In Talmud Bavli, the Gemara, in Herius, and in Christus, the Girsa in Talmud Bavli is that the one who says that it was cooked in the oil, this was Rabbi Yehuda who said that, not Rameir. And the one who argued wasn't Rameir, rather Rabbi Yoisi Eimer, Sheirin Esayikarim who made Sif Aleim Shemin. Rabbi Yaisi is the one who says that they first soaked the ikarim in water and then they pour the oil over them, the koilet is the kipchoi, and then it absorbs the fragrance and you remove the oil. So, first of all, it's not Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir, rather Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yaisi. And it is Rabbi Yehuda who says what in Rashi is attributed to Rabbi Meir, and it is Rabbi Yossi who says that which in Rashi is attributed to Rabbi Yehuda. In the Talmud, Yerushalmi, in Shkolin, and in Saito, it says, It is in Talmud, Yerushalmi, that the two opinions are attributed to Rameir and to Rabbi Yehuda in the way that Rashi brings it. So the question is, why does Rashi have to bring the names of the Tanoim at all? And especially considering the fact that there are different opinions about it, and there's a machlaikis between Talmud Bavli and Talmud Rishalmi, who are the Tanoim and who said what? And Rashi is picking what we find in Talmud Rishalmi and not what we find in Talmud Bavli. Now, as a side point, interesting, the Rebbe brings in the footnote that apparently Rashi actually had a version in Talmud Bavli that it was Rameir Rabbi Huda, the way Rashi brings. How do we know? Because the wording that Rashi uses comes from Talmud Bavli. In Talmud Rishami, the wording is a bit different. So we see that the wording is from Talmud Bavli, and just that the names are like in Talmud Rishami. So apparently Rashi had a version in Talmud Bavli that it was Rameir and Rabbi Yehuda, the way Rashi writes it. But the question still remains that this isn't the usual version of Talmud Bavli. So the question is, why would Rashi bring the unusual version of Talmud Bavli and not the common one that we have in our Gemaras? Siv Gimel. As Tashay Lorishayno Hanal, Siv Aleph, Hoyonitan Chiril Yashev Pashtus. The first question that we have asked that what is the connection? Between the measurement of a hin being you based lug and the machloikis, how the Shem Namishra was produced, we can 
at first glance, explains simply as follows. Once Rashi tells us there were 12 lug of oil, that the measurement of him is 12 lug. Then right away, the question is an obvious one that comes up immediately. Twelve lug of oil isn't that much. And the psalmin that the trader tells us what the ingredients of the various types of psalmin that were used for the Shem Namishcha was a huge amount. The Imkain, and if you're going to take that amount of herbs with just 12 lug of oil, if you're going to mix these ingredients with just this little amount of oil, how will there be any oil left that can then be used for the anointing of the Kalim and of the Kehanim and so on? There should be enough oil left that you can then anoint the entire oil mayad with all the beams and all the kalim. How will that work? And that is a question that comes up once we know what the in measurement is. Until we don't, as long as we don't know, oh, in might be a huge barrel or a huge tanker. But once we know that it's just 12 lug, at that point, we right away have this problem. So at this point, Rashi is compelled to right away bring up the topic, how the production of the Shem Namishcha was, and that there's a machlekes about it. But this explanation is still unclear. This question is a question that only, according to Rabbi Yehuda, we have an answer to it. Rabbi Yehuda, who says, that the herbs were first soaked in the water to prevent them from absorbing the shaman. So with that, we have now an explanation that the oil stayed the same 12 look oil. It, it only got the fragrance from the ikorin, from the herbs, but it didn't diminish. But according to Rameir that it was cooked in it, so the question still remains. As Rabbi Yehuda actually asks on Rameir's opinion right away, and Rashi brings it right here. It's not even enough for all the economy. So where is there an answer to the question according to Rameir? And really, once we are talking about that, we actually have a big question on Rashi. Rashi maybe is Shittas Rameir, Shabay Shalkus Rashi quotes the sheet of Rameir that they cooked it in the oil. 
And then Rashi mentions the question that Rabbi Yehuda asks on the opinion of Rameir. That there wasn't even enough to um, smear all the ikarin with that oil. Rashi doesn't bring, where is there the answer to this question, according to Rabbi Yehuda? According to Rabbi Meir, how would Rabbi Meir answer this question of Rabbi Yehuda? Isn't that a very good question that Rabbi Yehuda asks? And Rashi leaves it like that. He doesn't bring us what Rabbi Meir would answer to that question. It can't mean that Rashi, by bringing that question of Rabbi Yehuda, is trying to tell us that really Rameir's opinion has been negated. If according to Rashi, Rameir's opinion does not hold water, it can't be true then Rashi wouldn't have brought that opinion altogether. And especially is this uh, difficult and strange thing, considering after Rashi makes that introduction, that is a machloikis, which, I, like we discussed before, stresses the point, which underlines that not only don't we negate the opinion of Rameir, like we said before, that when Rashi makes such an intro, it always means that the two opinions are equally good in Pshut Mikra. How are they equally good if Rabbi Yehuda asks such a strong question, question on the opinion of Rameir Seemingly, Rameir's opinion doesn't fit. So we have the question why Rashi doesn't answer how Rameir would answer. Why doesn't Rashi tell us how Rameir would deal with that question? And if it if that question is such a strong question, then why bring Rameir all together? Sivdal. In Talmud Babli, where the Machleik is not Rameh Rabbi Yehuda, it's Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Yehuda. But this question, the Gemara actually tells us what Rabbi Yehuda would answer to Rabbi Yehuda. Uh, like we said before, that in Babli, Rabbi Yehuda is the one who says what Rameh says, that they cooked it in the oil. So the Gemara is asking, is asking on Rabbi Yehuda, how can you say that no oil is left afterwards? So the Gemara tells us actually an answer. Says the Gemara that the answer that Rabbi Yehuda would give, or by us, Rameir would give in such a, on this question, is the following. Is there only one miracle that happened involving the Shana Mishcho? We know anyhow 
that the Shemin Hamishcha was a miraculous entity. How do we know that? Because Chazal tells us that when it was produced the first time in the desert, by Moshe Rabbeinu's time, it was 12 lug of oil. And then they used that to anoint all the Kalim in the Mishkan, the entire oil Mayit, and the Kehanim, Aaron and his sons. And the entire 12 lug remained. Like Nes Hanukkah. And it's Kayim Kule Loosilavit. Moshiach will come. That those same Yubes Lug will still be in existence and will be used without being diminished. So we know that this Shem Namishcha is somewhat of an, a miraculous entity. So Rabbi Yehuda is answering to Rabbi Yossi, or in our version, Rabbi Meir would answer to Rabbi Yehuda that there is no question. How can it be? How can it be? It's a miraculous entity. That's how it can be. There's no questions on a miracle. Somehow there was a miracle, perhaps, and although it was cooked in the oil, all the salmon money were cooked in the oil, and somehow miraculously it didn't absorb the oil. That's it. Simple answer. But Rashi doesn't bring that. While it is true that the Gemara brings that, but we can't say that that's what Rashi would say. Rashi does not even mention, not even alluding to this idea that according to Rameir, there was a miracle involved in the production of the Shem Namishko. More than that. Yes, Ralki. Medibre Rashi la halom ala kosu shemen vegemele de resechem. If you look him further, where the Taylor says that there will be oil for future generations, over there Rashi introduces for the first time the idea of a miracle. Mikan lomdur abisenu says Rashi over there. From the word de resechem says Rashi. From here, we understand, from here, our Rabbi Seinu derived, that the entire Shem Namishcha is still in existence in the future. What does that imply? That up until the Pasuk from the previous Psukim, until that point of the Resechen, we don't know yet that there was a miracle going on over here. It's only from the Resechen they learned that out. Based on what we try to say, already when Rashi says that Amir said that they cooked the herbs in the oil, if we will assume that Rashi holds like the Gemara's answer that there was a miracle, so then already there we know that there must have been a miracle. But Rashi doesn't say that. And from the wording Mikan by Lederiseichem, we say clearly 
that Rashi did not assume that to be already implied here. So then we have back the question, how would Rab Meir answer the obvious question which Rashi quotes from Rabbi Huda on the opinion of Rameir. Somehow, Rashi must hold that in the opinion of Rameir, the question of Rabbi Yehuda doesn't begin. It's not even a question on his opinion. But that, that's not understood. Isn't that a very strong question? When you look at it at that surface? And we see that the Gemara does need to give us an answer and the Pshat in the Gemara that there was a miracle and that's a good answer but however Rashi doesn't even allude to this idea. So, how do we deal with that? If Rashi holds that the answer to this question in the eyes of Rameir is so obvious and so simple, Rashi doesn't even have to clearly spell it out. So then how come Rashi quotes the question of Rabbi Yehuda in his pirush. Just omit the question. Just tell us, Rameir says they cooked it in the oil. And Rabbi Yehuda says that they would pour the oil over the ikarin after they were soaked in water. And give us the two, present us the two opinions how the Shem was produced. Don't even bring the question of Rabbi Yehuda. So the question he does bring, but the answer how Rameir would answer that, and why, according to Rameir, this question is not really a question altogether, it's so obvious that Rashi doesn't even have to exp- uh, explain it, so then why bring the question? It seems to be very, very odd what is going on over here. The Habir Bazer, Lashitas Rameir, Rameir's opinion that they Cooked, not shalku is not regular bishul. There's two, there's bishul, cooking, and then there is shalku. Shalku, shalukim, we know there's a Mishnah in, in the Sefer Psachim that differentiates by morir. The Mishnah says that morir has to be raw morir, not that, you, that it went through the process of shalku and not the process of bishul. So Rashi on the Mishnah explains that the shalku means cooking it again and again and again. It's a, an extensive type of cooking. And bishul is just regular cooking. So Rameir who says shalku saikarim b'shemen milachatchila en kol mokim l'shitas rash al-der hapshat l'shaylev alay losu saikarim enesite. Rashi holds that if we say that this is what was done, this extensive cooking, then the question that it's not even enough to use that little bit of oil, 12 look oil, to smear all the ikarin with it, 
So how can you say that it was cooked in it? There's not even a question. Why? Because according to Rameir, there's nothing wrong with the Ikarim fully absorbing the entire 12 lug. Yes, the entire 12 lug of oil were fully absorbed in the Psalmim, in these herbs. And why is that not a problem? Because Rameir holds that there is no obligation to have the oil separate from the mixture. What happens when you do this shalku process? When you do this shalku process, the herbs become so soft that they themselves become liquidy. They turn into a liquid. All these herbs became so fatty and oily. They absorbed the oil and they became oily and they became liquid that you can pour now the entire mixture. So the entire mixture now became a liquidy substance. Although the Pasuk refers to it as the oil for anointing, and the terms that are used in its context is pouring it, and sprinkling it, which is all terms that you use about the liquid, because the boiling of the ikorin was not just cooking stam, but it was double and triple instilling and cooking it. They lost the look of herbs. Like Rashi says over there in the Mishnah Sochim about the mother that it becomes, um, it falls apart. The mother would fall apart and become liquid. And this is what happened also here by the Shoilkan process, according to Rameir. Made the ikorin become such a mixture that they became a liquidy. But Rabbi Yehuda doesn't view the pasuk like that. Rabbi Yehuda says. No, oil has to be oil. If the Shemen Hamishcha is called Shemen Hamishcha, then it has to remain oil. It can't become this new liquid substance, some type of soup that has oil mixed into it. No, it has to remain oil. As its name says, Shemen Hamishcha. It can't be 
some type of mixture, which the majority of it is not oil altogether, rather herbs that became loosened up and became liquidy and an oily type of liquid. That doesn't work, according to Rabbi Yehuda. It has to be oil, as the Pesach says. That's why he says the Ikorin just served a purpose of lending the fragrance to the oil. So he said that the herbs were first soaked in water, and then you poured the oil over it, and then you removed the oil after it had absorbed the good smell from the ikarim. But the ikarim weren't part of the Shana Mishcha. Shana Mishcha is the oil alone. That's why Rashi quotes the question that Rabbi Yehuda has on the sheet of Rameir. Because by quoting the question, we understand why Rabbi Yehuda argues. Rameir holds that that's not a problem. Because he, Rameir holds that it's okay. It's, the whole thing became a liquid, and that is what Shem Namishcha is. But Rabbi Yehuda says that doesn't work because it has to be Shem Namishcha and not Ikorim. So Rameir doesn't have the, the question, according to Rameir's opinion, doesn't begin. Rashi doesn't have to give us an answer how Rameir would answer. He doesn't have because there was a miracle that happened about it. No, Rameir doesn't have a miracle. The whole mixture sufficed for anointing the entire Mishkan and all the Kehanim simply because there was a huge mixture from all the Psalmim that absorbed the Shaman. And that, was, that is what is called Shaman Mishkan. So Rameir has no problem with that. Rabbi Yehuda has a problem because Rabbi Yehuda holds no, Shema Mishko has to be oil alone. So Rabbi Yehuda has a question on the opinion of Rameir, and therefore Rabbi Yehuda holds that it was produced differently. And Rashi quotes the question of Rabbi Yehuda so that we understand what compels Rabbi Yehuda to say what he says. At the same time, this question is not a question on Rameir according to Rameir's opinion. And Rashi is very medaic how he asks the question. There isn't even enough to be soch the ikorim. What means soch? To smear it on the ikorim. According to Rameir, Rameir doesn't say that you would smear the oil on the ikarim. He, he said that it was absorbed in the ikarim. And according to Rameir, the oil was not recognizable anymore as its, as its own entity. It became part of the mixture. Rabbi Huda should have asked on the main point, how can the apostle call it shaman if according to you there's no more shaman as its own entity recognizable? El or rather the reason why he words it like this. When we have something that is being smeared with another Thing. So 
the main thing is what you are putting the thing on and the 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 mixture the the liquid that you are soft that's secondary let's say a person uh, is uh, putting some cream on his hand the hand is the main thing and the cream is tofu secondary to the hand it's something that helps the hand but the hand is the main thing so Rabbi Yudh is saying that it isn't even enough to be lost to Chesayikorim what is the main thing in your view the main thing is the Ikorim and the Shaman is, is just something that you add to the Ikorim how can you call that Shaman Hamishcha if the main thing is the herbs, in the end result, according to Yura Meir, the end result is a mixture of the herbs with a little bit of oil in it. Why would you call that Shaman Amishcha? So that's why he uses the words Lostuches, so he called it, to bring out this point. And what is the main thing and what is the secondary in this mixture? The main thing, according to Yura Meir, are all the psalmim and the little bit of Shaman that's just Lostuches. That's secondary. How can you call this mixture by the ingredient that is only a minute amount in comparison to all the other ingredients? What is indeed the reason for the two opinions. Why do the men of Yehuda have this argument? Because of Nehmat, the following posuk, the Torah tells us, you should make the Shemen Amishcha, make it a professional mixture, made by a professional perfumer, and that should be the the Shem Mishchas Kodesh. Behind us, Shnei Chalokim Bezmanim Yesh Bedavur. In other words, there are two parts to the process, and they happen at a different time. There's step one, and then comes step two. Step one, Aleph, Peshas Maise, Veosiso Oisoi, as Shem and Azayis, Reikach Mirkachas Masrakea. You should make. The shaman's eyes, that, that oil, a mixture. Something needs to be done with the oil. And this asio has to be done in a manner of mirkachas. Mirkachas means a mixture. Anytime when so, two uh, uh, components are mixed together to the extent that one will absorb from the other either fragrance or taste that is called says Rashi. this type of mixture is called mirkachas. so that is step one something has to be done with the oil in a manner of mirkachas, in a manner of mixture Step two, base. Afterwards, the end result is what follows afterwards. You will then have 
Shemen, Mishas Kaidish, forever. It will continue to exist afterwards. So there's the process of making it, and then there is what happens afterwards once you have made it already, and now what is it? What will it remain? What will be with it afterwards? So first, you have to make a mixture, and then you will have Shemen HaMishcha. This is where Rameir and Rabbi Yehuda differ. In these two aspects, the making it and the resulting Shem and Hamishcha, which of these two is the main point? According to Rameir, what was done, the mixture was the ultimate type of mixing. What is the ultimate type of mixing? If it becomes one entity that you cannot differentiate between the two anymore, that is the ultimate mirkachas, the shaman and the psalmim becoming mamish one. That is mirkachas because this mixing of the two components together is in the most complete manner. By cooking them together. So Rameir focuses more on the beginning of the puzzle. Make it, it referring to the shaman, in a manner of mirkachas, the best way you can mix it. That's why Rameir says the way to achieve that in the best possible manner is by having the process of sholku with it. Although, by doing it in this manner, the next level, that it will then be Shemen Mishchas Kedish, will not be in the best manner. Because Shemen Mishchas Kedish means, at, in the best manner, Shemen Bifne Atzmai, oil, on its own. According to Rameir, if you do it in a manner of Shalku, so while it is true that the Merkachas will be best, we will then have to compromise on the next part that it will result in an oil. Because it's not really an oil anymore. It's already a mixture where the oil is only one small component of it. So we can call it Shem Namishcha, but it's not mamish, the oil, the oil on its own. So Rameir chooses to make the although he will have to then compromise on the end result of it being Shem and Mishchas Kedesh here. Rabbi Huda goes the other way around. Rabbi Yehuda, who says that they first soaked the herbs in water, which will prevent 
the shaman from being absorbed in the ikarim. And then they would pour the shaman over the ikarim and then remove the shaman. So, what was done with the oil? It was poured over and removed. This is not a real mixture. It remained separate. What does Rashi say? What is the definition of Mirkachas? When two things become really mixed together. So according to Rabbi Huda, this isn't the real best type of Mirkachas. There isn't really a, a mixing process going on over here. This is just like it's being smoked. It is like to lend the fragrance from the psalmin to the shaman. So there was like this process of pouring it over, removing it. At, at no point did the two really mix together. Because according to Rameir, according to Rabbi Huda, the way that the fragrance was absorbed in the oil wasn't through cooking it with the Ikorim, Mikol Mokim. Nevertheless, Rabbi Yehuda says that's how it was done. Why? Because Because then the outcome, the resulting outcome, will be proper. Shemen Mishchas It will be a Shemen of Mishchas Kedesh. That is what it will be here. It will be a Shemen. Betachlis. Complete Shemen. There's not there's no, nothing else here. There's only shaman. It remains shaman. Shaman with a fragrance, but it is shaman. There is no other thing going on over here. So Rabbi Meir wants the Mirkachas component to be behidr, although he will have to compromise in the end result of shaman Mishras Kedesh. Rabbi Yehuda wants the end result of Shem Mishas Kedesh to be the best, although he will have to compromise in the Mirkachas understanding that it's not a real Mirkachas seemingly because it's more superficial. When we look at the Pasuk, we don't see in the Pasuk anything that will tell us which of these two is more important. Is the Mirkachas more important that should be proper? Or is it more important that the Shem Mishas Kedesh is more important? Therefore, So that's why Rashi introduces Nechlekuboy. There's a Machloikis which, like we said before, implies both opinions are of equal value. Both of them fit equally in Trutisha Mikra, because each one will focus on one while compromising on the other. And both are good, and Dashi brings both Perush. Now, peace. That also explains why Rashi uses the wording Chachme Yisrael. We had asked that this is not usual in Rashi. Usually Rashi would write Rabbi Seinu or some other wording. Chachme Yisrael. The wise of Yisrael are having an argument. 
כשתי דייס אלו של רמי ורבי יהודה ואיפה נשיא השם רמישכו משקפי שני פאנים אפשרים בדרך שבו על אודם לוגש על קיום המצווה. because it's not just a machloikus about how this was done, this really represents two outlooks, how a yid is supposed to serve Hashem. Like in this case, this is a machloikus of Chachm Yisrael, the wise of Yisrael, meaning the outlook of a yid, how is it supposed to be? Are we supposed to focus more on doing things in the best manner in the present, although it might cause a lack of shlemus after a while? Or perhaps we ought to think about the future more and ensure that the future should be more bishlemus. And for a lasting effect, although it would mean that currently we will have to compromise and do something not in the past. And the footnote it brings similar machlekesen that are brought down in, in the poskim, it's being discussed. For example, we have a dictum of zrizim makdimim le mitzvahs. Somebody needs to do a mitzvah properly, and we, we should do the mitzvah as quick and as fast and as early as possible. So for example, brismila, we should do brismila early in the morning. Do it early. On the other hand, we have another value, we do a mitzvah when there's a lot of people, that's the glory of the king. So sometimes these two ideals contradict because sometimes if we do the bris early in the morning, less people will show. If we'll do it later in the day, we can have a greater crowd. So which is more important? If we're looking at the present, it's more important to do things now. What happens later, uh, we'll compromise on later, but we have now the Zrizimak Dimila Mitzvahs. Or are we supposed to think more about the long term and say, okay, let's compromise about now that we're not doing it early. We'll do it a bit later, but with that, we'll have a greater crowd later. So we see that the hoive and the osit, the present and the future, sometimes plays a, a, a role in this. Another example is given for a machlekes, shaklovetavia. If a person is weak, and by fasting on the same gedalia, it might cause them to have problems with fasting a few days later on Yom Kippur, are we supposed to say, look, today is Tzim Gedalia, today I have an obligation to fast. What will happen Yom Kippur? We'll deal with that when Yom Kippur comes around. Or are we supposed to say, Yom Kippur is a more important fast than Tzim Gedalia. So let me not fast today on Tzim Gedalia to enable me to fast better on Yom Kippur. 
and not be faced with a situation of maybe having to break my fast and Kippur. So, again, we have the hoiver, the present, and the future. Are we supposed to be concerned at the present with the future? Or are we supposed to live with the present and not look at the future? Hashem did not specify exactly how the Shemina Mishcha should be produced. He just made a general statement. He told us what the ingredients ought to be, which herbs and the oil in 12 Luke, but the measurements of the, all the ingredients that he told us. But then he gave a general directive. Make a mixture, and then you will have Shem Namishcha. So in the in Machshevis Yisrael, how to think as a Jew, they have an argument. When the Yidin approach, we have to do it. We have to do the oil. Let's take step by step. What does it say first? You got to make a mirkachas. Okay, let's make the mirkachas. Mirkachas means a mixture. Two things mixed together. How can we ensure that they really mix together to the extent that they become one entity? Make it a mirkachas. Because it says, make the oil a mirkachas. Therefore, in the oil, they boil, they cook all the ikorim. Although that will mean that later on, in the outcome, there will be a chisolim, something will be lacking. Will not be the oil will not be any more recognizable as its own entity. So therefore, Rabbi, Rabbi Meir comes with the approach: you got to focus on the now and here, and you don't have to be concerned about the later stage. said no. The present is a preparation for the future. You have to now think about the outcome. That's why according to Rabbi Yehuda, you can't say that you cooked the herbs in the oil. Because if you do that, you will have a problem later on. You're not going to have the result of Shem and Mishchas Kedish. Therefore, Rabbi Yudha says that they would soak the herbs in water to prevent them from absorbing the oil. Although that would, by default, cause the mixture to not be in the best manner. But the future will be ensured that the future will be in the best way. It will be called Shannon Mishchas
And in the footnote, the Rebbe adds on two more points over here, that especially in this issue of the Mishchas Kedish, Rabbi Yehuda prefers this because, simply put, right, I mean, you read a pasuk, do X, Y, Z, and then you will have this and this. So it is clearly implied, apparently, that the Asiya is only a preparation for the end result. And also, the Asiya is temporary. You do it, but the end result is something that lasts afterwards forever. So it makes sense that the more important component should be the end result and not how you get to the end result so much. So this is Rabbi Huda's approach. So this understanding also explains why Rashi altogether has to mention the names of the Tanoi and also why he picks the version that the two Tanoim were Rameir and Rabbi Yehuda, and not Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yehuda. Why? Because she came Kvalel Hevi Rashi Beplukta Ben Rameir Rabbi Yehuda. Because Rashi already previously has presented us with an argument between Rameir and Rabbi Yehuda. The Afsham me you said is Machluktom Al Oisos Tvara, and over there their Machlekes is also based on the same. Ideas. And over there, Rashi also uses the same terminology that Chachme Yisrael argued about it. In other words, that this is a question of outlook and not just a technicality. Where do we find this? We know that is the four Shemrim, Shemr and a a renter. So when it comes to the seichel, Rashi writes like this: The Torah does not specify what is the din of a seichel. In is his din like the shemerchinom, and therefore he's only obligated to pay if he wantingly. Uh, use the object or something and something happened to it. Or is the din of the seichel like the shamer who gets a reward for being a shamer? Which obligates him to also pay for stealing or losing. The says Rashi over there that therefore, because the Torah does not specify clearly what is the din of the Seicher? The Chach Meisrael argue about it. Seicher Ketu Meshalem, Rameir Eimer Keshem Erchinam, Rabbi Yehuda Eimer Keshem Erchinam. V'tamein Bepashtus. What is the simple understanding? Why Rameir says the din of the Seicher is like the Shem Erchinam, and Rabbi Yehuda says like the Shem Erchinam. Rabbi Yehuda Svirelei, Seicher Keshem Erchinam, Rabbi Yudha says the renter he's using the ox he's renting the ox from someone else yeah 
So he's using the ox to, to plow his field, let's say. So comes out that what? That by using, utilizing the ox for his field, he is gaining some type of reward for watching the ox while it's in his domain. Uh, but hold on, I'm paying for my using of the ox. So he's not getting any reward. He paid for that reward. He's paying for the renting it. So really, Rameir is right. The guy is paying for the usage of the ox. So why is that considered something that he gains a reward for watching the ox? That the reward is that he can plow the field with the ox. What do I mean a reward? Not a reward. I'm, I'm paying for that. So we, we can understand seemingly what is the reason of Rabbi Yehuda that he would compare it to a Shem why is the Shem Sochel obligated in the case of Gneva and Avedo? The reason is because he's getting paid for watching. The one who left the item or the animal by someone else he tells him, listen, I want you to really watch over this very well. I'm giving you money for watching it. By giving him money, the shamer is taking on an obligation to watch it with an extra careful measure. To protect it that well that he will protect it even from being stolen or getting lost. Vim Considering that when the owner gives the ox to the renter, not to watch it as a shamer, but for monetary profit, so why should he get, get obligated to watch it with the special shmira of a He's not getting paid for that. So why should he be obligated? The explanation is like this. The reason they argue is, again, based on the same argument that we have over here. Which is the deciding factor? The present or the future? Well, how does that connect to this Maklaikis? If the owner, the maskir, considers mainly the present, 
At present, what is he interested in? In the profit. By renting out his ox, he gains monetary profit. He's also interested, obvious, that while his ox is being rented, it should be guarded, it should be watched, because uh, after the rental period is over, he, he wants his ox back, he wants to have an ox. Because presently his main concern is the monetary profit, the fact that he also wants the ox later on, and therefore he expects that it should be watched carefully, but that's in the future. Right now, he's concerned with the monetary gain. So we assume that he is um, happy with a basic shmirah. He doesn't need that the renter should watch it with the special shmirah of Hashem Masachah. Which, what is that special shmira to prevent it from a possible gneva, uh, aveda, that might happen in the future, might not happen. It's, it's not something that for sure will happen. So, because of that, he's not so concerned at present with a potential possible thing in the future, and he suffices with a basic level shmira of a shemachainum. Elo bishmira regila. The Shmir of Hashem Echinom also protects on a basic level at present the item or the ox or the animal or whatever it is on the, on, on the normal level. The possible, potential, worst-case scenario does not prevent him from presently making the money. He wants to now make the money. That's his main concern. And therefore, he's not concerned so much about a potential worst case. And he suffices with a basic shmirah. That's why, according to Rameir, what kind of Shmira does the owner expect? The Shmira of Hashem Mechino. Rabbi Yehuda, who holds that the future is the deciding factor. Because he's so concerned about the future that he should have his ox back after the rental period. He wants an ox. He, yes, he wants the monetary gain too, presently. But in the long run, what does he want? He wants his ox back in perfect condition. He doesn't want it lost. He doesn't want it stolen. He wants his ox. And that is more important to him, according to Rabbi Yehuda. The long term. So therefore, as long as he does not ensure 
that this ox will be protected and guarded with the best he won't compromise on that. He needs his insurance that he has his ox at the end of the day. And therefore, although he is gaining money for it, but he, he's not ready to compromise because the future for him in the Rabbi Yehuda's perspective is the deciding factor. And because the Seichel at the end of the day, is not like a Shem Chinam who just does a favor for the owner. He, he rents and uses the item. Therefore, according to Rabbi Yehuda, the assumption is that the owner is expecting, and based on that expectation, he's ready to rent it out, that the renter will guard it with a shmira ma'ula, the best type of shmira. So we see that Rashi is giving us the context that this was Rameir and Abihuda who had his argument because he already brought this previous machlekes where Rameir and Abihuda argued, and also a deer, the underlying reasons for their opinions is the argument how to view the shmi, the, the inyonim in Yiddishkeit and Teinomitzas and so on, do we focus more on the present or more on the future? The Chazik has borish Rameir Rabbi Yehuda Ozlekam Rashitu Sayu Natik Mimokim Noisav Shebe Motzinu Machlekes Deme Ben Rabbi Meir Rabbi Yehuda to stress this point even more. The Rabbi is going to bring now another, not Rashi, but another Machlekes between Rameir Rabbi Yehuda where in that machlekas we also see that this was the underlying point. It's to make a zimun in birchas hamozim. How much do we have to eat in order to be mitzdarev to a zimun? At kezayis that once you ate a kezayis of bread, it can already be counted for a zimun. Rabbi Yehuda Eimer at Kebeitzo. You have to have eaten a Kebeitzo. The Gemara is bar machluktam. The Gemara explains what is their machlokes. The Kroplige. The arguing apostle. Rameir sova vochalto zuachilo vesovoto zushtio. Apostle says vochalto vesovoto veirachto. Then you have to bench. So he says like this: vochalto achilo eating zovoto being satisfied. That's referring to drinking. To eat properly is when you also drink. And how much is eating? What can one call eating? Once you eat a kezayis, that's called eating already. Because less than a kezayis, it's like a taste. Tasting. That's not eating. But once you eat a kezayis, that's already called achilo. Rabbi Yehuda Sova, but Rabbi Yehuda says no. Vochalto v'sovoto. Achilo sh'yesh bo'svira. Vochalto v'sovoto goes together. What kind of achilo? An achilo that satisfies you. Ve'ezo zu, zu kebeitzo. Ve'ezo zu kebeitzo. When you eat kebeitzo, then, then you're satisfied. That's already a, a proper achilo. So that's what Rabbi Yehuda says. 
that you have to have eaten a kebeitza in order to be mitzad of lezimu. Ulam hateisves shom kosu dehane kroas machte be'almeninu. Teisves over there in the Gemara and Brochus explains that um, these psukim ochalta v'sovoto how to translate ochalta sovoto. This is just an asmachta. In other words, this is not midiraisa. This is chachomim based on the understanding of the pasuk. The midiraisa bo'inot zviriyokmuro. It is clear that from the deraisa perspective, you have to have a real satisfaction in order to be obligated in benching. The, the simple understanding is that. The question is, do we have to? Midrabonon already bench, even if you didn't have the Savato. So Rameir says, yes, Vochalto is already, Achila Kezais is already that. And Rabbi Yudha says, no, it has to be the Savato, even Midrabonon. So we have to understand that their Machlekes is, each one, how they view the Chiyuv Midrabbonon, Mitzal Machleikton B'Svoro, because they have the argument in the Svoro. Ali Midrab Meir, she actually is Chasheba Heve, Hadas Nisenes, she bechol mokim, she ash inen shalach hilo, tzoruch iyo odom, li yismechuyi b'zimu Midrabbonon, kwa ba'ezim. According to Rameir, that we look at the present, once there is an aspect of Achilo, at present, the person is already mechuyev midrabonon in benching in zimu ma'achas shir achilu bekezayis because what is considered a shir for achilu, for example, to make a first bracha. Once, if you eat a kezayis, you have a chiv to make a bracha. Yes, lidrish bas machto shavochalto inu mifneatzmi. So therefore, you can make this drosha as an asmachto, learning pshat in the pasuk vochalto as its own inyan without the sovato. Take it. But according to Rabbi Yehuda, that we always have to have the uh, to consider also the future. So therefore, the fact that currently he has a component, an aspect of Achilo, that, that doesn't decide anything yet. We have to look at the outcome of the eating. The outcome, the purpose of the eating is that the person should be satisfied. And that satisfaction is what brings the obligation to bench. That's why he holds, which is it? Only if you eat a kebeitza. So here we see another machlekes where the hoive and osid is what underlies the machlekes between Rameh and Rabbi Yehuda. Tzif Yudalov. Kvan Izboer, Pomim Rabbeis. Whenever we find 
Machlekes of Tanoim and also Gedele Yisrael in general, where they have arguments in numerous places in Shas, in numerous topics. And we say that by all of them, the underlying Svaras are the same. So then the question is, why do they need to say it again and again? Once we have it already in one place, we can from there understand that in the other places, the same argument will follow. The need to say it by this and by this and by this is because we might have thought that not always the, does the argument apply. In each case, there's a novelty and therefore it needs to be spelled out clearly again and again. In each of them, if they wouldn't express it clearly outright that the Machloikas applies there too, there would have been a reason why we might have thought that in this topic, their Machloikas would not apply. And therefore, the Machlekes has to be spelled out clearly again and again by each case separately. In our case, the obligation to make the Shem Namishcha is a commandment of Hashem. And before him, before HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the past, the present, and the future are like one. You can't differentiate between the present and the future in front of Akash Bolchu. There is no present and future. It's all one. And therefore, we might have thought that you can't say there is the present somehow disconnected from the future. No, there is no present disconnected from the future. The future is now. So when the future in the past is that there should be you can't say, well, I'll overlook that for now. Let me just focus on the present. The present being make a mixture. Might have said, you can't say that. We might have thought that you can't say that because the, the future that there has to be is relevant already now when you are making the Merkachas. You must be concerned with the future. So we might have thought that in this case, even Rav Meir would agree that the Shem Mishchas Kedish component is the deciding factor because the future is now and not the future is in the future. Because before HaKosh Bochu, Especially when we look at the Tesefta. The Tesefta says, The days and the hours, time, before Hashem, are like a like a here breath. And this is symbolic. It means to say, you can't really narrow it down. Like the Ragachov Goen explains this to mean 
שזהו כנקודו חלק שאינו מזכרת, it's like a point which you cannot subdivide. In, in, in geometry we have this idea that a point in geometry has no size, has no width, has no length, has no depth. It's just a point, it's, it's a location, it's, it has no space. So the Ragachava says that this is what the Tesefta means, that time in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Kechut HaSairo. It, it has no, you can't divide it. It's all one. It's, it's one point. So based on that, there is no making of the Merkachas at present and the outcome of it being Shemim Mishras Kedesh in the future. The outcome of Shemim Mishras Kedesh here is now together with the Vosisa Merkachas and you can't divide between them. So we might have thought that therefore, in this case, being that this is a Tzibuy of Hashem, this Machlekes between Rameh and Rabbi Huda would not apply. Therefore, it has to clearly state that they do have the Machlekes, even though it is a Tzibuy of Hashem. And although they would say, it's very nice to be in front of Hashem, there is no difference between the present and the future. But down here, the Yidin are the ones who have to implement that command in this world, and in their world, the world of the Jew, there actually is a difference between the present and the future. Well, nevertheless, because what they are busy with is a command of we might be obligated still to do it in the style of HaKadosh Baruch in front of him. It's all one. Why would we have thought that by, a, by the case of the Seichel, if it's like a Shem Echinam or like a Shem Sochel, we might have thought that over there they won't have the argument. Why would we have thought that? Because it's, it's a doubt. The might be a situation of the item being stolen or lost. But it might not happen. So the future is, is not a future that for sure will happen. It's just a possibility. Especially that there is some Shemira. At least the Shemira of Hashem Echinam, everyone agrees that there is. This is just a concern that perhaps something might happen in the future. This is not like the din of the Shem Amishcha where an outcome is ensured, some outcome, either a mixture like this or a mixture like that, but there is an outcome from whatever is being done now, and also by the Eventually, the, the outcome is ensured that they're going to bench. He will eat more, and then he'll have eaten a, a, a kebetzah. So he might have thought that in this case, because the outcome is not a sure thing altogether, 
So perhaps over here, everyone will agree that the, pre the present is what matters, like Rameir. Yes, okay, more than that. But Seichar Hagneve Bosit Baschiro Boheve Heshnei Dvor Nifrotim Shen Kshurim Zembozet. Also, at the time of the rental, the guy is renting the ox, and that's what's happening. If the ox will be stolen or lost later on, that, that's a new situation and is not really connected to the renting. So the hoive and the osid are bichlal two separate entities. It's not like the outcome of one of the present, they're two separate inyonim. So you couldn't have understood from it how the halach would be by Shana Mishcha, and likewise for the Zimun. By them, by the Shana Mishcha and by the benching, the future is the purpose and the outcome of whatever is being done at present. So we might have thought that by the Seichel, everyone would agree that you have to consider the present and only the present, even in the future. What if it would have been said only by the Zimun? We wouldn't have derived from it for the other places. We could have thought, here the discussion is, what is considered achilo? Is it eating or is it being satisfaction? We wouldn't have realized that this has to do with this machloikis. We might have thought this is not connected to the general argument. That is why the Machlekes needs to be repeated in all three instances.